We also missed out last week on all the Christmas decorations that were put up a couple days after Thanksgiving. So thank you to those that came and, and decorated for us and out in the hall. And, and so we finally this morning got to see that. And I don't know about whenever you started decorating in your house. I, I did notice on our street, it seemed as though the lights went up a little earlier this year than normal. I think maybe people were hoping... You know, we just throw the decorations up. Uh, the joy will follow, right? And, uh, and maybe that's the deal with you. Uh, how do you, I guess that's the question I want to start with. How, how do you get in the Christmas spirit? Is it, is it decorating? And I know for a lot of people that is to, to be able to pull out those family heirlooms that their grandmother put out and their mother put out, and it brings back memories of Christmases. Uh, maybe for you, it's the songs. It does seem as though the point that our radio stations decide for us when Christmas is to begin. In the, and even before that, probably the stores, because I feel like I was walking around in stores hearing Christmas songs before Halloween this year. But, you know, it, it is true, though. Songs do tend to usher in that Christmas season. And uh, how many of you would say songs are it for you? Like, you, Christmas begins when you start singing some songs. Not as many as I would have thought. Not so only, only a few of you would agree with Buddy the Elf that the best way to bring Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear. You know, that I guess, I guess we're, not, we're not followers of that mantra. But I do think actually God is. God agrees with Buddy the Elf on that one. Because uh, he includes a lot of songs in his account of the Christmas story. And, and we are, over the next uh, four weeks or so, the, leading up to Christmas, we're going to be looking at the songs of Christmas out of uh, the first couple chapters of Luke. Today, we're going to look at Mary's song or her Magnificat. Magnificat. It's one of those Latin words that's hard to say, Magnificat. It just simply is the Latin rendering of the first line of her song, and it's found in Luke 1, and that's what we're going to be going to today to, to understand a little bit more about Mary's perspective on the news that she just received. She received great news that the Savior would finally be coming into the world and that she, in fact, would be a part of it, a big part of it. And so this song, Mary's song, is her response of wonder and praise. And so I wanted to, this morning, ask the question, as, as we look at her song, her Magnificat, as, as it as it's, uh, essentially means, my soul magnifies the Lord, what is going to cause me to magnify the Lord this Christmas season? How can I respond with greater wonder and praise this Christmas season? Right? How can I respond with greater wonder and praise this Christmas season? And I think Mary gives us a great model for how to do that, especially this Christmas season, where maybe you're feeling like you, it's a little bit more difficult for you to, you know, kind of get into Christmas. Uh, maybe it's, it's a, there's a few more distractions in the family. You know, strife and sickness can seek to rob us of our joy, seek to steal away the praise that is due to God. Maybe it's easier just to say, hey, let's just kind of move along. Let's just get over this and move past it. But we don't want to move past it. God is a fan of festivals, of celebrations. All you got to do is read through the Old Testament and see that he places them everywhere. He wanted his people, Israel, to have parties, have celebrations, because they were great reminders of his faithfulness. 
of his promises of what he's done for them in the past and what he's going to continue to do through them. And in the same way, we too, as we look at our celebration of Christmas, however your family celebrates it, God cares about your celebration. He cares about how you respond with joy. He cares how we hold our light up in our community to show the watching world that even in the midst of sickness and strife, that we as a church are unified. We continue to love one another. We continue to love those around us and we continue to hold up the joy of the season. And so since season starts with the letter S, I picked three words that I'll start with the letter S to answer that question of how we can respond with greater wonder and praise. And the first one is salvation. And that should be an obvious one for us and an understanding that Christmas is all about salvation, that we need to view Christmas through the lens of salvation. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, right here we have the nativity scene. These are one of the ones I believe that under over made, or it looks a lot like it. Uh, many of you purchased uh, this one and you hopefully have it out for people to see because it is a great reminder that the Christmas season is all about salvation. We are viewing Christmas through the lens of salvation that we can find wonder and praise in the idea that God brought opportunity for us to be saved from the one thing that separated us from God. Look with me as the, her song starts in verse 46. And Mary said, and, and this is in direct response, and, and Luke includes it right after she visits Elizabeth, and she stays with her for a while and learns about God giving Elizabeth a son and, and, and the role that John would play, and it comes after uh, Mary finds out about her own role and that she would uh, bear a son that would be different from any other boy that has ever been born. There would not be a human father involved in the process. It would be miraculous, and it would be very difficult for her to explain. Now, those two things come into play throughout this song, and we need to remember that, that this is still a teenage girl from what we understand, that she may have been in the realm of 16, 17, 18, unmarried, but betrothed in a culture of shame, that she would be walking this path that God had called her to. And I find it interesting that in the first line, she points out salvation. She is viewing her part of the story of Christmas through the lens of salvation. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. God, my savior. She understood what God was saving us from. And that's an important aspect. When we think about salvation, we do think about the gift of salvation and all the benefits that come from having a personal relationship with Jesus. But sometimes we move to that and we forget what we were saved from. Think about the nation of Israel and all the things that they had to deal with in their past from the very beginning of sin. From the moment sin enters our humanity and Adam and Eve are ushered out of the garden <clears throat> and they are given the curses that will come along with their understanding of, of sin and experience of sin and, and how it will be passed on from generation to generation. God 
first gives his promise that one day there would be a mother and one day she would have a son and one day that son would take care of this problem of sin. And so that promise is passed down forever. And finally, it comes to Abraham and, and, and then it's passed on to his kids and, and the nation of Israel. Well, but then they go into enslavement and then they finally are ushered out and there's a great kingdom and their kings let them down. And then they get brought into exile and then they're finally returned and they rebuild the temple and then they're occupied by Rome. And it would seem all those generations that this promise is passed down, another promise is passed down along that unless there is a savior, sin would continue to break this world. He would continue to mess up families, continue to mess up lives. And so she had a firsthand look being a, a young Jewish woman to look around and see Rome occupying this country and knowing that this is not the way we were intended to live. God did not create us to live in brokenness. She was firsthand experiencing or would experience even in the fact that Joseph didn't believe her story, that God had to intervene. We know that she had a, a rough path ahead. She was going to experience the brokenness of sin. So she first knew firsthand what God was sending this boy to save us from. And she recognizes her place in that process for she says, for, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's speaking about herself and literally speaking about the fact that she is from a poor unknown family. There is no reason according to all things human for God to use her in this way. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Generations past, this promise was passed down. And now she recognizes her place, even though she comes from a humble origin, that now generations forward, people would speak of how God has brought salvation what is your place in God's salvation story? What makes you magnify his name in light of the salvation that came on that first Christmas? One of two important ones are that we are to attain salvation and proclaim it, right? And, and so this Christmas season, maybe more wonder and praise is brought to you as you are remembered of what you have been saved from. That this baby born ushered in salvation for you personally, and it has affected you personally. It has changed the trajectory of your life and therefore has probably changed the trajectory of your family and your generation after generation as this promise is passed down. And that ushers in the proclaim us aspect of it that, that I have been called to be a part of the salvation that was brought so many years before. Every generation, we take up that baton and we say, Christmas is a time where we are given so much opportunity to proclaim the salvation. Well, in verses 49 and 50, we see the, the next word and it's scripture that I think if we soak our hearts in scripture this Christmas season, we will find greater wonder and praise. Look at what Mary continues to sing in verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Old Testament scholars look at this song and they find 12, around 12 different Old Testament references that she pulls together. But the, the strongest one actually comes from Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel. 
chapter 2, 1 through 10. You, if you go through and read that and, and put them side by side, you see this isn't so much of a cover song as it is a sampling. As you see the uh, pop artists of today, maybe you'll hear a new pop song and there's something about the, the beat in the background that you think, wait, that's, that's, that, that sounds like something I've heard before. That was a very Jewish way of, of taking scripture from this spot and this spot and this spot and kind of consolidating it into what you were trying to communicate. And, and I think there's a very good reason why she grabs hold of Hannah's prayer. One, I believe that uh, although back then they were not given opportunity to have their own personal copy of scripture, the Jewish people understood the oral history of memorizing and quoting it from generation to generation. And so although her town would have had a copy of all the Old Testament scrolls and she would have gone in and sat under in, in synagogues and, and listened, more than likely, she got most of her soaking done in the home. When her mother would quote scripture, when her grandmother would quote scripture, and this was how it was passed down. <clears throat> and so that she, she was soaking in scripture to the point that whenever this news was given, it set off alarms in her head to say, this was the promise of God. Finally, the fulfillment, after all these years of this promise being passed down, passed down, the Savior is finally coming. And it is in the scripture that she was soaking that the attributes of God all started to come up. Think about Christmas. Think about the story of Christmas, and then think about all the attributes of God and how they are represented. His grace, his mercy, his love. His sovereign, sovereignness, his, his all-knowing, his just ability to take the story of humanity and history and just guide it through his plan of redemption. She names a few of his attributes in this, these two verses that I've assigned to this concept of scripture. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She had grown up having her heart soaked in scripture so that when the story of Christmas first appears, she can respond in wonder and praise because it's connected. We need to connect our celebration of Christmas to scripture. Because when we begin to see how God's promises were fulfilled that Christmas morning, we can't help but go, whoa, I can't believe God pulled that off. After all the things that God's people went through, how the enemy sought to pull them apart, to, to distract them, to water them down, to, and, he, and that happened in a lot of them, but there was, there was many of them that held true. That, that when Jesus showed up, he found those that still had faith, those that recognized him as the Savior. I can't help but, but think of the burden that we have as parents and grandparents to know that I need to make sure my kids are soaking in scripture, that, that this Christmas season is an opportunity for me to take them to those promises. Many of us do that, right? I don't know if you do an Advent devotional. I, I would highly suggest it. There are so many out there, more than I could get up and, and suggest. Uh, if, if you want a specific one, you can, you can text me. I could, I could let you know what we've done anyway with, with small kids. But it is just so important to, to connect our Christmas celebration to Scripture. And, and, and that is where the wonder of God's plan really comes out, that this wasn't just some random thing, that this random woman was chosen at a random time. It was not by accident. 
And Mary understood that, that after the thousands of years of this promise being passed on and God's attributes showing up in his people, the amazing fact that she was chosen to be this carrier of the son of God. She was able to recognize that and praise God as a result. And in the same way, we can look at the story of those that have passed on the promise to us and we can praise God to really understand and fully grasp the fact that, wow, me, God chose me to communicate his message of the gospel. That's an amazing thing. And it is rooted in scripture and it's rooted in the Christmas story. And so as we connect scripture to the Christmas story, suddenly God's attributes take on flesh. And as we sang this morning, the light of the world comes into our darkness and suddenly God himself walks among us. And we have experienced the benefit of that. The last word that I wanted to speak to is sacrifice. that we need to embrace sacrifice and give it as a gift to God. What do I mean by that? Well, we all know that Christmas is the season of giving. Giving is by its very nature sacrificial. If I choose to give you something, it means I have chosen to not have it myself. Whether it's the resources that it took to to give and purchase the gift or the time that I, I chose to give and spending with you or serving, we really appreciate you guys being a part of the giving tree every year. And this year it's a little bit more stressful. We're kind of wondering, Oh, I hope this works out. Uh, Cause just by the fact that, that it's hard to get people in the building. Right. And, and, but it's out there. And so many of you have chosen to say, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice. Maybe it's the choice between giving your own child an extra gift or something uh, to give uh, this child that may not get a gift. The fact that you have chosen to give is sacrificial. And it is attached already, we understand, to the Christmas season. Even those that are not believers get more generous during the Christmas season. This is why so many nonprofits and, and charities send out all their stuff during Christmas season because they know that people are in that spirit. Well, why? Where, where does that come from? I think Mary gives us a model of what it looks like to live with sacrificial love, sacrificial generosity. Just think about what God had called her to do. And I've, I've touched on it already, but a teenage girl called to carry a baby that was not conceived the way every other baby has ever been conceived. And so it is literally inconceivable. Yes, that was a pun. So her own husband-to-be doesn't believe her. Her family's not going to believe her. Her town is not going to believe her. We find that this idea of an illegitimate son follows Jesus into adulthood. You read in the book of John, whenever he's having a discussion with many of the people from his local regional area about who his father is, they throw in a barb about this and say, hey, we all know who our father is. You don't. Jesus had a nickname. It's not a good nickname, right? And, and it started with Mary and Mary had to carry that burden. Mary had every reason to sing a song of lament here. 
If you think about it from that point of view, instead she sings praise. Why? Well, I think she recognizes that God can be trusted with sacrifice. God can be trusted with our sacrificial love, with our sacrificial giving. We understand that it isn't just that we're generous because it's December. We as Christians live out sacrificial, a sacrificial life throughout the year because we understand that God has called us to trust him. <clears throat> when you give to this church, when you give to a missionary that you support, when you uh, sacrifice and give up time to serve a friend, when you show love, you're trusting God with that to know that he is going to use it, multiply it, and make up for it. There are so many times in our, our married life over the last 20 years or so that, that we've come to a, the end of the month or whatever, and, and we think there, there's a bill, and then there's our obligation to support this missionary or our obligation to give to the church that we have in our hearts felt led to do. And we have to trust God with that, and we have to say, you know what? We're going to trust God. We're going to step out and we're going to show God that we're willing to see what he is going to do with all this. I don't know where it's going to come from. Mary didn't know how she was going to do this. I've been around a lot of teenage girls and I feel like I already have one. She's only eight, but <laughs> most of the time I interact with her, I'm thinking, are you like 16 already? I don't know how that happened. A lot of eye rolling. And I know I'm, I'm an eye-rolling dad, probably. I, I don't blame her. She didn't know where the strength would come from within herself. She understood this plight that would be before her, and she responds with wonder and praise because she has seen in Scripture God's faithfulness to follow through on promises. And if he says he's going to use me in this way, he's going to use me in this way, and he's going to make it happen. There isn't any accident that she, she pulls from Hannah's prayer, because what was Hannah's prayer all about? Hannah's prayer was all about the fact that she wanted a son, God gave her a son, and she gave it right back. And Mary knew that God has given her the son and she would give it right back. That this son came for a greater purpose than just to be her son. He was given to the entire world. And so over the next few verses, she calls out God's faithfulness and his, his promise to be trusted with sacrifice. Look in verse 51. I want to read the 51 through the rest of it and then have a few thoughts to close out. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You start with that last one. We see Abraham's name mentioned that Mary understood theologically that her part to play in all this, her sacrificial giving of her life and her motherhood and her reputation would be so that God can fulfill his promise he gave to Abraham so long ago, this Abrahamic covenant that he one day through Abraham's line would bring up a savior that would bring about salvation for the entire world. When he spoke to her forefathers, God kept his promise, even though it seemed for thousands of years like he wouldn't. 
And isn't that one of the biggest glaring themes throughout all of scripture is that when God makes a promise, he keeps it, even though throughout the intervening time period, we doubt. Just look at the story of, of Abraham and Sarah. Why is Isaac named Isaac? Because she laughed at the concept of God fulfilling his promise now that she was so old. And now Mary, even more miraculous than a 90 plus year old woman having a baby, would be a virgin having a baby. But she sees, even though there are times where we can doubt and say, is God really going to follow through? Again, I really trust him with my sacrificial living, that she sees that he does follow through. What happened to Egypt? What happened to Babylon? What happened to Assyria? What will happen to Rome? God is sovereign over all of these people that choose to rebel over him. And he brought judgment. He brought down the proud. He confuses those that think they know everything. He brings judgment. He brings gifts to those that follow him. But at the same time, even 2,000 years later, removed from Christmas, I have to read this with a skeptical heart at times and say, wait a minute. There's still hungry people. There's still prideful people. There's still haughty people. Have you really done this? I get it. You know, God, you fulfilled your promise with the Messiah. And I can now have salvation from my sins. But I, yet I live in a world where people are still sick and still hungry. One, I have to stop and go, okay, okay, okay. God saved me for a purpose. All right. There's still a problem. Maybe I'm part of that solution. You know, so whenever I'm at that point where I say, God, why is that person still hungry? And I have more than enough food. Maybe there's an inequity that I can be a part of to solve and, and be Jesus's hands and feet in that moment. But it still doesn't answer the whole question. I don't know about you, but it doesn't answer it for me when I look at problems in the world, even at this Christmas season and think, now, wait a minute, God has made a promise. And Mary has echoed that promise to say that God makes things right. Well, guess what? His promise isn't completely done. So we have a promise to look forward to, but it is still rooted in that Christmas season because if Jesus had not come, we could not have a future hope for all things to be made right. So whenever you are distracted and your, and your, your awe of Christmas is kind of brought down a little bit and maybe it's a little dim and you want to see your wonder and praise elevated this Christmas season, not only do we look back at a promise fulfilled and his attributes in scripture shown, but we understand that that means that God will one day make all things right. There is no hurt that escapes God's vision. No sacrifice given that he does not see. And it's because Jesus came and was born all those years ago, because he lived a perfect life, because he ultimately died on that cross for you and me, and rose from the dead and gave the promise of coming again to set up a new heaven and new earth, that finally that story of Christmas comes to its complete end in an eternity as a true family of God, where there is no sickness that keeps us in different rooms, and there is no longer despair, and there is only joy and only praise. So let's, as we put our eyes on 
the manger scene this year as we sing the songs. Let it renew your wonder and joy as you consider the salvation that Jesus brings. As you look to scripture and connect your celebration to God's attributes and as you give, as you live sacrificially, you know you can trust the one who will make all things right. Pray with me. We do, God, want to live a life of wonder and praise that when we come face to face with with the Christmas story that you would elicit in us a desire to praise you. And we are just honest, though. Many of us do have heavy hearts for one reason or another. And it is going to be a little bit more difficult. But as the night gets darkest, the light shines the brightest. And so we praise you and we bless your name in the good and the bad. And we recognize that we can only do this because of that Christmas morning. That we only have hope because you came into this world. You walked among us. You experienced humanity and all of its frailty aside from sin. You got sick. You were isolated. And you did it all because you wanted to bring us to you. And so we praise you and we, we honor you because you have kept your promise and you will keep your promise. And we look to that day where celebrations will not end. In Jesus' name, amen.